At RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Him. This stumbling together is how we live out the truths of the gospel in community each day. As we look to the next generation, we are trusting God to use our Riverview Church family to be a great blessing to our community in Lansing and beyond. We are committed to loving like Jesus as we dream and pray about the future. With our renewed core values, we are looking to take some significant steps over the next two years, from increasing our staff with young and diverse leaders, improving our kids and student spaces, planting more churches, and developing a new missional fund for RIV communities to serve our neighborhoods, cities, and towns. These dreams happen as we join together as a church family. So we're asking you three questions. Would you join a RIV community? Where do you plan to be present missionally? And what do you plan on giving financially? Would you pray and consider being a part of this two-year commitment as we entrust our plans to God, pray for lives to be changed, and equip and empower the next generation? All right, good morning, everyone. You made it. Excellent. Not as easy to get here as it has been. Glad you're all able to join. My name is James. I am one of the pastors here. Uh, Welcome to those who are joining online as well. We are in week four of our Entrust series. Uh, I want to begin with a quick recap um, for those maybe who are just joining or if you've missed a week or two in the series. The focal points for this series have been community, mission, and generosity. And so the first week we talked about uh, the idea of living in biblical community, koinonia, Uh, is the Greek word there. It's about contribution, participation, and sharing. And the question we asked that week was, if you're not currently part of a koinonia community, uh, will you consider joining a RIV community? The second week, we focused on mission. The idea there was the intentional purpose for Christians is to go proclaim Jesus to as many people as you possibly can. And the question that we asked there was, where do you plan to be present missionally as a witness and an ambassador for Christ in your circle of influence? And then last week we talked about generosity with the question being, what do you plan on giving financially over the next two years as we aim to pass the gospel baton to the next generation uh, through the work of the family here at Riverview. And so today we're going to take a few minutes um, as a church family to kind of consider those three questions. Before we do that, I wanted to make a comment. Uh, and my comment is this, there is a sense of urgency here. And the reason for that is we think the American church is at a crossroads, especially when it comes to reaching the next generation with the gospel. Our culture is changing very rapidly, embracing a series of worldviews that are increasingly at odds with the truth of the scripture. There is a ton of skepticism among youngers, some of it, by the way, very legitimate, when it comes to leaders and authority and leadership within the church, all of that. And at the same time, in my 30 years of experience working with students, high school, college, middle school students, 
I don't think I've ever been around a generation of young people that is more open to and more thirsty for conversations about God. The curiosity, the interest in the gospel, in my view, is at an all-time high. And I think the reason for that is what's going on inside so many of our young folks. Uh, Mental and emotional health struggles are epidemic as more and more people struggle with loneliness and anxiety and wrestle through past and present trauma. And it's an opportunity for us to share the hope we have in Jesus. As it says in 1 Peter, we don't want to miss the opportunity to share the hope. We should be ready to make the defense for the hope that we have that's found in Christ Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to stop for three minutes here, and and we're going to have each of us uh, take a few moments to answer those three questions uh, that just came up onto your screen. There's a QR code on your handout. Uh, There's actually three QR codes, but you're going to want to use the one on the top side right there um, next to the rivchurch.com slash entrust. We'd love for everybody to complete this process digitally right now. If you can, we're going to stop. We're going to give you three minutes to do that. Um, The link will also be up on the screen, rivchurch.com slash entrust. Now, some of you have already gone through these questions or some of you are like, this is my first time here. This is so weird and everything like that. So if that's either, uh, you're on either side of that, just take this time uh, to reflect if you want to pray, if you want to read a little bit, uh, our passage today is going to be Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Uh, but we're going to, for the rest of us, we're going to take this three minutes uh, to go ahead and complete uh, these three questions on your mark, get set, go.
Thank you for taking the time. Um, if you are a person who prefers uh, paper copy or doesn't like QR codes or whatever, we have these little cards at the info center. Uh, you can complete one of those uh, after the service or feel free to take the link home. And if you need to use a laptop, whatever, you can do it that way as well. Did anyone have a week this week that turned out different than they expected it to? Anybody have that? I had one of those. Every, every Sunday afternoon, I, I, I take some time, uh, generally sit down with my wife, and we kind of map out the week, what's on our schedule, what's coming up. And so last Sunday, we had the weekend services here. I was here in the morning, and then I actually officiated a wedding in the afternoon last Sunday. And so uh, when I got home, we sat down, kind of planned for the coming week, kind of had it all mapped out. And the first thing Monday morning, I got an email from, it was about one of our RIV family members who had recently separated from their spouse. Could, could I find a time to meet with, with that person this week? On Tuesday in the morning, I got a, a text from my co-pastor, Justin. He said, we're heading to the emergency room with our daughter. Could you please pray? She has severe stomach pain. She had an emergency appendectomy that night. She's doing great. On Wednesday, I took a break. Um, I have sermon preparation. I do writing and stuff on Wednesday. And in the middle of the day, I took a break to play some paddle ball. And I, I, I went to, to get a ball that was in front of me. I reached like this. And um, <clears throat> I, I lost my balance, which I, I know is shocking. I, I, this kind of athletic um, <laughs> specimen here. And, um, and so as I was reaching, I lost my balance and I hit the wall on the left. It was in a racquetball court. And after I bounced off that wall, I hit the floor and then the front wall and then back onto the floor. I was imagining, I didn't see it happen, but it was the same as like, if you've ever hit a deer, it was that same thing. Like I got up and I was like, you know how deer like run into the woods and they go die there. Um, that's felt like kind of what happened there. I, I, uh, the good news is the only parts of, of my body that got hurt were my left hand, which has, I broke in early August. So I re-injured that. And then Every single square inch of the right side of my body hurts, like still like five days later. Um, if you can name a color that isn't present in this bruise on my right hip, I, I defy you to do that. So now I'm slow doing everything for the rest of the week. On Thursday, I met with a Riverview mom and her three kids. Their husband and father passed away suddenly a week ago Friday. The memorial service is tomorrow. Pray for them. In the afternoon after, after I met with this family, I visited this delightful woman from our RIV community. She's in the hospital with a broken shoulder. And then she, they get, had an infection. Uh, and they found out it's, it's connected to her pacemaker. So they had to remove and replace her pacemaker with a surgery on Friday morning. So we're praying for her. And then of course it snowed all week and all the roads are closed and you just can't get it. You know, it's just one thing after another. How do we respond to these unexpected people and circumstances we inevitably encounter? It strikes me that our health as a community of faith will be defined in large part by our willingness to consistently engage people and situations with a humble, godly posture. In fact, I can predict 
with certainty that these entrust plans that we have kind of unveiled over the past few weeks will be interrupted. It's not our intention to stand up here and say, okay, God has told us what to do and how to do it. And if this plan doesn't happen, then we've failed. We have never had a strategic plan that has worked like that at Riverview (laughs) because we can't ever know what's in front of us. What won't be interrupted for sure is God's plan. In James chapter four, it says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor. Let that sit for a second. This is you, gone appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what our lives will be. What we do know is in the meantime, our purpose as Christians is not to insist on our plan It's to listen to God and prioritize what he values in every moment of our lives. Uh, An unnamed rabbi once said, man's plan is man's plan. Interruption is God's plan. The word interruption comes from two Latin words. Um, Rumper means to break, as in I'm really glad I didn't rumper part of my body when I fell on that paddle ball court, right? And then inter is between. And so an interruption is a break between. You're doing something, you're going somewhere, and then something breaks in between and stops or delays that progress. Now, interruptions kind of have a bad reputation. They're often seen as problematic or frustrating or, you know, people don't always like when their progress is stopped or delayed, right? But it really all depends on your perspective. That's kind of what we're going to talk about here today. Some interruptions are small enough that it's just like a simple excuse me and it's all you need and then you just kind of move on with your day. They're like little blips, right? That's probably most interruptions. Some are so massive And life-changing, it hardly even seems fair to call them interruptions. Because you'll never return to the trajectory your life was on before that interruption occurred. The break between is so severe, it becomes permanent. How do we respond to these unexpected, often uninvited, sometimes even really unwanted people and circumstances we inevitably encounter. Now, Jesus, as always, is our example in living this way. If you're looking for the story in the Gospels where Jesus was too busy to listen or to care or to heal, it's not there, right? He was constantly being interrupted, and yet he was never in a hurry. If there was a person in front of Jesus That person was his priority. Which brings us to the story, the brilliant parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And I want you to be considering these questions as we walk through this story. How do you respond 
to interruptions. What if we began to see each so-called interruption as an invitation to participate in God's plan rather than something that's an interference with our own plans? Could each one of these moments actually be an opportunity to display God's character, to grow, to reflect his love toward others. So let's begin in Luke chapter 10, uh, and we'll start in verse 25. We're just gonna walk our way through this story. We'll have the verses up on the screen for you as well, so you can follow along there. It says, then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, an expert in the law was someone who knew the Bible, like really knew it. Like this guy, it's pretty likely that he would have had the entire Mosaic law committed to memory. He knew the law. And so that makes this question he's asking Jesus really interesting. What was the gap? He knew what the Bible said, but he still wondered, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is a question I think that every single human has thought about and would like an answer to. What's going on? What happens after I die? What's, is there an eternity? How do I get to be part of it? In Ecclesiastes 3, it says, God has set eternity in the human heart. He's wired into each person a, a, a thirst, a curiosity, a desire for eternal things. Jesus says, verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so the guy answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, I love Jesus' reply. He's like, you're the expert. What does the law say? How do you interpret it, right? And the guy gets it right. Inheriting eternal life is about love for God, love for others. Jesus is like, bingo, you got it. Now go do it. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That changes the conversation. Knowing it and living it are not the same thing. Does anyone here think that this guy will be able to do it? Anybody? Think you could do it? No. We know that we can't do it, right? That's the gospel. If a person, theoretically, right, could perfectly love God and love people, they could earn their place in eternity with God, I guess in theory. But the fact is, Jesus lived a sinless life and died on the cross because nobody can do it. We can't even come close. We have too much sin, too much brokenness. And I think this guy knows that he falls short as well. Look at what he says next. Uh, Do this and you will live, Jesus says. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Neighbor is just the word for the person nearby. They're almost the same word, neighbor nearby, right? Now, why would this expert in the law want to justify himself? 
Typically, when I want to justify myself, it's because deep down I know that I have a wrong motive or I've done the wrong thing or said the wrong thing. And I want the people around me to have an understanding of like, but there was some like factors here. You know, I just want you to kind of understand. And, you know, when you justify yourself, that's kind of the idea. Which, by the way, that's why I'm so grateful for Jesus. In Romans 3.26, it talks about how he has already justified me. (laughs) I don't need to justify myself. I can't make myself righteous. Jesus has done that on my behalf. Now, my guess, and I I don't know this for sure, but from reading the story, is that for this guy, this expert in the law, there is a person or a kind of person that this guy does not love or doesn't want to love or doesn't like or doesn't want to be associated with, and he's hoping to sort of feel excused of this attitude by Jesus's response. He wants some justification. He wants to walk away going, okay, yeah, I, I, can, I can keep kind of avoiding this person or that one. And Jesus gives his reply. Verse 30, Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I just love how Jesus like starts a completely different conversation. <laughs> They're like, we were having a give and take, and now we're telling stories. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Now, we visited the Jericho Road uh, when I was in Israel in May. And so this is a view looking up towards, this is Jerusalem at the top of the hill. You can see the city there. The Jericho Road cuts down through these wadis, these valleys, and you're going to pick it up right here. You can see the road comes down that way there. There's a better view. It goes around and it starts picking up. You can see it right there as it goes down and straight across and then down. Jericho is down all the way at sea level there. Now, Um, uh, By the way, I tend to think of it as more like the Jericho path than the Jericho road. I mean, the thing is like this wide. You can see that there. If you were, just based on what you're able to observe um, from that video, what words would you use to describe what you imagine it would be like to travel on the Jericho road? What'd you guys think? What's that? Amazing? (laughs) Yeah. Dangerous. Yes. Hot. I heard somebody say hot, dry, all those things. It's 18 miles long. It's a half mile drop from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And so um, it's hot, it's dry, it's tiring, it's dangerous. The road has not changed at all, probably, since Jesus told this story. It's still the same road, very primitive, very narrow, lots of places for robbers to hide and ambush someone and take their stuff. 31, a priest happened to be going down that road When he saw him, the the dying guy, the priest saw the dying guy, he passed by on the other side. Now, I don't know about you, but I look at that and I go, what's the other side of that? What does that even mean? There is no other side to that road. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Okay, so priests and Levites, they were vocational Jewish ministers who carried out responsibilities in the temple. They worked in Jerusalem. And then Jericho was, it still is, a beautiful 
oasis town. There's a, a water source underneath the city. It's the only green thing in the entire area. And so wealthy Jews would often live there or have vacation homes there since it was a short journey back and forth to Jerusalem. Now, is there anyone here who enjoys having their travel plans interrupted? Anybody love that? The flight delay, the, the accident on the highway with that thick red line on your Google map, like where you're trying to figure out, or, or the snow and ice on the ground on your way to church, whatever. Anyone have that dad who had the timer set for bathroom breaks on your vacation, right? Vacation, dad, relax. The priest and the Levite are headed somewhere, and they're interrupted because there's a bleeding, dying man by the side of the road. There's no way for them to avoid seeing this guy. Now, scholars have speculated for centuries about why would these guys, they love God. They know the Bible. Why would they choose not to help this dying person? It makes no sense. The most common theory is that touching the dying man would have made the priest or the Levite unclean. In Leviticus 20, 11, it says, a priest must not even go near a dead body, even if it's his mother or his father. And if they were to become unclean, what would a priest or Levite have? They'd have to go, turn around, go back up the hill, all the way to Jerusalem, get cleansed in the temple, stay there for a whole week, Helping this guy would have been terribly inconvenient, very uncomfortable, very costly, right? Everything that they had planned for the next few days, even week, would have had to have changed. And potentially heartbreaking, this guy was dying. Verse 33, but, and this is where Jesus just is so, he just starts to twist this thing, right? A Samaritan. Now, it's very difficult to describe the, the, the level of loathing that existed between Jews and Samaritans, especially Jews who were experts in the law. Mutual hatred. We'll talk about that here in a second, but hang on to that as you see what happens. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. The Samaritans and Jews had been at odds for decades, centuries. The Samaritans had intermarried uh, with foreigners. They had mixed the truth of God's word with these idolatrous practices. The Jews had been uh, dismissive and sometimes violent and exclusive. It was just this long history of, of hatred. Jesus is reaching for the most extreme possible example the farthest away person from this expert in the law would be a Samaritan, right? And what does the Samaritan do? A lot. He stops. He has compassion. 
he approaches and he touches. Like multiple times, I counted five times, he bandages the guy, he pours the oil on the guy, and then he pours the wine, right? Have you ever tried to pick up a person and put them on your animal? That's a lot of touching, right? And then they bring the guy to the inn and he stays overnight. It says the next day, He's paying and saying, if I, I'm gonna, on my way back, I will ta- I'll fund his hospital bill. It's terribly inconvenient, terribly uncomfortable. It costs him a lot. Every, his dinner plans, the next day, all of it, he just changed everything for this stranger. So earlier this week, I had an appointment. And I walked in, um, and there was a guy in the lobby who looked troubled, like something was off. And so I, I went over and I asked him, I said, hey, do you need some help? And he says, I don't know where the bathroom is. And so I didn't know where it was either. So I walked around and I found the bathroom. I came back and I said, hey, I found the bathroom. It's right around the corner there. Now this guy was in a wheelchair and he had a pair of those metal crutches on his lap. And, um, you know, I, I, he just looked, he looked, troubled. So I said, do you want me to take you down there to the bathroom? And he said, that, that would be great. Thank you. And so I wheeled him through the hallway down to the bathroom and we got there and then I, I kind of uchied around, opened the door and his, his wheelchair barely fit through the door and the, the crutches were kind of getting stuck on the way through and we're kind of figuring this process out. And in the middle of me doing this thing with him, um, it occurred to me, is this man going to need me to help him use the bathroom like this stranger. See, so far, this, this really didn't, you know, was just an inconvenient thing. You know, I was, I was a little sad because he was struggling. But now this is not just interrupting my day, right? This is in my business, right? If I'm helping this guy use the bathroom, now we're, this is the next level. This is just maybe for James, right? Maybe all of us. It was a strange feeling. I asked him, I said, hey, is there any other way I can help you? And it struck me how relieved I felt when he said, no, I'm all set. Thank you. I really appreciate your help. I wasn't ready to go that next level that he may have needed. I don't know what I would have done. Remember the question the law expert asked that prompted Jesus to tell this story, who is my neighbor? What person or what kind of person does God want me to love and to what extent? And again, Jesus is so brilliant. Verse 36, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. The one who showed mercy on him. The guy said, he couldn't even say Samaritan. (laughs) That guy, right? And Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, a lot of times the main point of this parable is seen as help hurting people, which is true. That is all over the Bible. We should help people in need Absolutely, right? But that was not the question Jesus was asked. Should we help? The question we ask is, who is my neighbor? 
Which people are we required to love? Now, to be clear, there are some situations, I'm aware of this, that have history that demands uh, healthy boundaries and there's some difficult conversations. I get all that. But the big idea here is your neighbor is whoever is nearby. And that's challenging. Think about that person or that kind of person who just irritates you, right? Who annoys you, who has a completely different ideology, who you have a really tough history with. Do you pass by or do you stop? Do you have compassion? Are you willing to approach? Are you willing to step inside of their perspective, to engage? Two questions to consider, and then I have a final thought that I'll share as well as we wrap up here. First question is this. How does your heart respond when you're interrupted? See, most of us hate to be interrupted, right? We want everything to happen the way we want everything to happen. Amen, right? You guys are like, I love church. That's exactly how I want things to happen. Yes, perfect. So for me, my heart barometer is the heart posture I have when I'm driving my car. That's how I kind of gauge where I'm at with this, right? I saw this Instagram clip of a comedian recently. He said, when I'm in my car, I have a different set of values. (laughs) He said, I'm the worst person I can be when I'm behind the wheel of my car. He goes, the other day, this woman just cut in front of me a little bit, like with her minivan, and I screamed at the top of my lungs, I hope you die at this woman because I had to adjust my steering wheel just like a little tiny bit, right? Well, he was like, what am I capable of? Have you been there? I sure have. I'm too focused on myself on my plan, on my destination, right? The world just kind of revolves, it's kind of James Island here, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together, his his book, by the way, could have been called Koinonia, Life Together. He said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. God will be constantly crossing our paths and canceling our plans by sending us people with claims and petitions. What if we began to see each so-called interruption as an invitation and an opportunity for God to grow us, for God to show himself through us? What if rather than anger or irritation or smug superiority, we chose patience, kindness, humble sacrifice? You know what that requires? A new pacemaker, (laughs) right? Our hearts must be in sync with the rhythm of God's word, formed by his wisdom rather than our own desires. How's your heart? And then the second question, this is one I've been thinking about all week, is do you see people? I mean, really see them. See, we're all beaten up, right? Lots of people are dying by the side of the road. It's just not as obvious as the guy in this story, right? We hide it well. If only we could see the pain and the tears behind the faces that we encounter every day, I bet you we'd respond very differently to a lot of the people God puts in our path. Lord, give us your eyes and your ears so that we can be 
your hands and your feet. And that means that we must be curious about others. We ask questions. We're intentional. Hey, what happened? Oh my, that that sounds awful. I'm, I'm so sorry. You must be heartbroken. Is there any way we can help? Are you okay inside? You, you don't look okay. And it starts with those neighbors that are the most nearby to us, right? In our own homes. Do your own kids feel like they're kind of like an interruption in your agenda or your spouse or your parents? And I thought about, personally, for me, I've been thinking about that a lot this week. I want my mom, when she calls me on the phone, to know that she is my number one priority. Monday, I had breakfast with a friend who I admire a ton. Um, He has suffered a significant loss, massive interruption, and a completely different trajectory in his life. And uh, he said, I gotta be honest with you, James. I wish you had seen how much I've been hurting over the last year or two. And he was right. I missed it. And I was like, man, I am so sorry. How can I pray for you? I'm glad we're here together now. Let's start connecting. And that's the other side of the question. I was so grateful that he told me how much he needed. Are we willing to let others in? I think that's why for many people taking a step like joining a RIV community or, 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 or being involved in some kind of gospel is such a huge leap of faith. It's like people might find out that I'm hurting. I might have to connect with people that I'm unfamiliar with. These are hard steps. For me, our gospel impact rises or falls on the thousands of these little moments that we're faced with the choice to love our neighbor or to pass on by, right? And my final thought is this. It strikes me that the gospel story is built on interruption. It's God's voice in Genesis 1 interrupting the chaos, right? Speaking order into the broken world. It's Mary saying to Joseph, you might want to be sitting down for this one, right? It's a baby who disrupted an empire. It's Matthew or John sitting down, Matthew with his wife, John with his family and saying, I'm going with Jesus. I'm not sure when I'm going to see you again. It's a guy named Saul breathing threats, right? against the disciples. He's already killed multiple Christians. He's on his way to persecute more and God's voice interrupts him on the way to Damascus. It's the story that many of us have where God intervened in our lives and changed our trajectory forever. And one day, the grand interruption is coming. In 2 Peter 3, verse 10, it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief which means we're not gonna know it's coming. It's gonna sneak up on us. That's what thieves do. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be 
exposed in our Instagram story or our little issue with the traffic or our sore hip. And I go live your life. I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying keep them in the proper perspective. Is your heart prepared? Do you see people? Because the grand interruption is coming. It's coming. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for you that you stepped into the world and you just completely upset the trajectory for eternity in a good way. So grateful for Jesus. His example, the way he lived his life, uh, help us to be like him, to be fully present for the people that we encounter, for the, uh, the people that come with petitions and claims, that we would be totally, uh, totally present and ready to engage folks so that we can point people toward you, Lord. May that be sort of the distinctiveness of our church family, of us as individual believers. And uh, just grateful for the opportunity that we have to know you, to love you, to serve you in this way. Amen.